You're listening to the Inside Study Abroad podcast, episode number 24. Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. Happy, happy April. I know that you guys in North America have been on the weather struggle bus recently, so I will not gloat too much about the beautiful weather I'm having here in Medellin, Colombia, but it's been an amazing month so far. I'm about halfway through my stay here and basically falling in love with Colombia ready to move here, buy property, all the things. So if you've been to Columbia, I'm sure you can relate. Uh, At the end of the episode, I'll let you guys know where I'm headed next and sort of what's in store for me travel-wise. I'm really excited to share with you today's interview with Chris Holloway, president of CIS Abroad. But before we get into that, I wanted to share a quick announcement. I am hosting a free masterclass workshop online all about how to land a job in study abroad and international education. It's an old favorite. A lot of people have gotten some great results from the tips and strategies and action items I share in this training. So if you're interested in that, it's going to be on Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central. That's Wednesday, April 18th at 3 p.m. Central. If you just go to insidestudyabroad.com slash training, you'll be able to sign up and get all the notifications and all that great stuff. And I will hopefully see you there live. So again, go to insidestudyabroad.com slash training, and I will have this all linked up in the show notes as well. Now let's get into today's guest and interview with Chris Holloway. I have known Chris, I feel like forever, but I really haven't. Um, I've known her for several years for sure, but I actually knew of Chris before I met Chris. I was introduced to her when I was volunteering at a Lessons from Abroad conference in Boston. This is early on in my career. I was doing all the things that I recommend people do. I was volunteering, networking, like putting my name out there as much as I possibly could. And so I decided to volunteer for this local conference that's being held, a day-long conference for students. And Chris was actually the keynote speaker. And she talked about her work in the Peace Corps and the resulting book that she wrote called Monique and the Mango Rains. And and at the time, I believe she was the marketing director for CIS and university relations director. And But she had also done all these other different cool things. She'd worked in the healthcare industry and uh, just has had a really cool, diverse career in a lot of ways. And it, and her story and her time in the Peace Corps and the lessons she learned from that have sort of carried through throughout her career. And she talks a lot about that in, in the book. So I highly recommend the book. And we do talk about that a little bit in this interview. But my conversation with Chris was was really inspiring. And I actually posted something about this on Instagram this week as well about this idea of having to have it all figured out, especially early on in your career, especially at a stage when you are maybe transitioning to a different career or a different, different area of the field or something. And, and I kind of want to just like, debunk a little bit of this idea that you just, you're just born with a passion and you just know to your core exactly the type of work and the type of environment, type of organization, the type of clientele that you're supposed to work with. And I I just think it's a rare breed of person who just knows that out of the gate. And I, I, I have a lot of coaching clients and I've worked with a lot of people over the years who feel bad when they're like, I I don't know what my passion is. I know I love travel. I know I loved my study abroad experience. I know that I love working with college students, but I'm not really sure where I fit in the grander scheme of of the world and, and this work. And I'm here to tell you guys that that's okay. And especially if you're early on in your career, this is the time to, to, to dabble, to try things and to really sort of 
make those big investments that are kind of risky because this is the time in your life when you don't have a lot of things sort of dependent on you potentially. You know, maybe you don't have a mortgage yet or kids or family or all the other trappings of life that tend to happen as you get older and, and you set more roots. So I just want to encourage you guys this week, if there's something, if you're, you're struggling to kind of figure out what direction to go, my best advice for you is to try to get out there and start tasting some things and to really just put yourself out there regardless of the fear and the, that you might fail, that you might be bad at it, that you might you know, waste a little time. I promise you none of it is a waste. All of it is going to inform and give you more data to help you decide, okay, I tried this once and it didn't really work out because I wasn't good at it. I didn't really like it, whatever. And then it's going to help inform the next thing that you try. And then the thing after that, and then the thing after that. And as you collect all of this data points, you'll start to realize, wow, I need to be doing something like this. This is where my talents lie. This is where my passion is. This is where there's a need for for those things. And, and that's when you can begin to go all in and dive deep. And so with this interview with Chris, I think we talk a, a little bit about some of these themes, but I think you'll see in her story that she she found what she was good at and she tried a lot of things. And, and even within CIS, um, what they're trying to do to differentiate themselves as a company, they're constantly trying, reiterating, seeing what works, seeing what sticks, seeing what resonates. And you have to do that in your own career and your own life as well. So let's go to the show. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Let's start with you telling everyone your international ed story and how you got to where you are today. Ah, okay. Nice <laughs> talking with you, Brooke. It's nice to, to be here with you virtually. Uh, so my international ed story, uh, I was born in central Ohio, a small farming community of Granville, and my parents hosted international students from Denison University. So I got to grow up with all that interesting stuff around me and like different music, different foods, different languages. And it was the most exciting thing about Central Ohio. So that was my launch. Like there is something outside of, of my home and that I could share my home with these different people. Then I, I am a school for field studies alum and I was back in the day when they did programs in Alaska. So I studied bald eagles in Alaska and worked with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to help protect them. So that was my first between my freshman year and sophomore year in college. Then I studied on our program, Institut Catholique in Paris, France, and at the Sorbonne. That was my study abroad experience living with a host family. And then that set the stage for my Peace Corps experience in Mali, West Africa. So that wait, was... Wait, back yes. up. You say yeah. our program. CIS? Yeah. yeah well... It was so we recently started working with obviously I studied abroad before CS okay. was in existence. <laughs> that's why I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, okay. but it's the program, it's our program in Paris. So we Oh, that's awesome. With, with um Institut Catholic. It's kind of come full circle. That's amazing. Yeah, as soon as we get to have Molly West Africa on our oh, list, yeah. <laughs> it'll totally be full circle. So so that's how sort of I got my feet wet and then um I was thinking about whether I wanted to keep writing books about fantastic women um, who who have helped women like me have international experiences, like the midwife I worked with in the Peace Corps, or if I wanted to actually help people have these experiences. And I, I chose the latter and have been at CS Abroad now almost a decade. So Wow. Okay. Awesome. So let's back up a little bit um, and unpack a little bit of part of that story. Because one of the things, um, I, and I think we've talked about this, so it's probably years yeah. ago, but mm. one of the things I remember when I... People know I worked at CIS for like six months. Yes, uh, I remember <laughs> you so well. <laughs> but one of the things that I was so excited about and slash intimidated slash starstruck about was that I was going to be 
working with Chris Holloway, the author of Monique and the Mango Rains. And I loved that book. And I don't, I think you spoke, I was volunteering at a re-entry conference. I think you were the keynote speaker and you talked about the book and I was like, oh my gosh, she's amazing. And I bought the book and I read it. I think I bawled, of course. It's a great book. Go pick it up, everybody. Um, and it was, it was really amazing. And then, you know, literally years later, I met you in a different capacity and we worked together. But I would love for you to tell people, because not a lot of people, I think, have published a book, mm. uh, at least especially not uh, one like this. Maybe they are a professor and they've published a, a scholarly academic book of some kind. But what was that process like uh, getting published? It, what for you specifically? And, and, and maybe if you have any advice for somebody who's like, I want to write a book. I've got a story to tell. Yeah. Uh, so it was a grueling and awesome process, as you can imagine. <laughs> so I'm a scientist at heart. I didn't consider myself a writer. Uh, and then wrote Monique and the Mango Rains because there was a story I felt I, I was compelled to tell about this midwife that I worked with. And so I had great help uh, by anthropologists, women's studies professors. Um, I worked, I was a member of the National Writers Union. So I said, I have to tell this story. How can I, you know, learn how to write, learn how to tell a narrative, understand uh, how to write uh, in a way that is true to a culture and a person that I'm not uh, a part of. I was a visitor in, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, I just went and I did it. And I was really lucky that it was successful and I had just a ton of help along the way. So um, I think that my advice to other writers would be to the same advice that I would tell people who want to get into the field, like scan your, what is your treasure chest of people, right? Who do you know? Who knows someone else who can introduce you for that informational interview? Do you know any kind of writer? So it was like, I had one person in my writing group, like John, my husband's roommate at McGill is a writer who's agent, you know, it was like that who, you know, and you right. just keep getting introduced to people and you just have to pursue it and be, completely devoted to the cause and persevere. That's amazing. Okay, great. Well, everyone needs to go check out our book. I mean, this podcast isn't about book writing. So, <laughs> but I think it's so cool. It's, um, you know, when I, when I talk to people, especially trying to break into the field, that oftentimes I also try to coach them on elements of their story or their mm. perspective or, you know, their brand that can, that can stand out. You know, if you're getting... 150 applications for a university relations rep, uh, you know, how are they going to stand out to the university relations director? Right. And then what's that, you know, cool thing that could be like, Ooh, she wrote a book. I want to know more about her. Yeah. So I think, you know, that is like a great example of sort of having a little feather in your cap. Um, and yeah. So I like it because I can do, I get to visit. So it's still used because it came out in, I think, 2007 is the copyright. And it's used in over 200 universities across the U.S. So I can dovetail my sort of work with CS Abroad and my work with students who've read the book and now want to participate in service learning. And sometimes that's a nice mm -hmm. connection. So that's always that's been awesome. a really great, um, yeah, uh, just I get to have both, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's great, and it's also a great um, business card. I mean, yeah. I'm an author. I'm a published author. Here you go. You don't yeah. need a business card ever again. Well, uh, and it's interesting in study abroad because on the ed abroad organization side, sometimes we're kind of, you know, uh, I don't want to say the most suspect, but I said it. Like, you know, people <laughs> who are at, on universities are perhaps sometimes. Um, uh, think that they may be in another category than a for-profit provider, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas I like to call at a broad organization. So, so I'm the same me, whether I'm the head of an at a broad organization or whether I'm an author. Right. And, um, and I think that's important for everyone to know that we all have these different facets. So don't judge a book by its cover perhaps. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well played. Well played there. I like that. Okay. So kind of going back a little bit. So, um, you wrote the book based on a time when you were serving the Peace Corps in Mali, West Africa. Yeah. And one of the things that, um, 
people trying to break into the field that I work with a lot, they have done sort of a long-term teacher abroad experience mm-hmm. or maybe even a volunteer abroad experience or something like the Peace Corps. And they're still struggling. You know, they think, oh, I've done this really great, meaningful, long-term experience abroad, but now no one will hire me in international education. Yeah. And there's a lot going on there. But oftentimes I feel like people don't know how to leverage the experience that they did have on the ground. Um, so someone who came back from something like that, that is, you know, it's not like you were in Mali advising on study abroad. So therefore you were qualified, you right. know, to, to come back and work study abroad. But I'm sure there was something about that experience that you think positions those type of people to be suited for this work. What would you, or, would, or I guess, do you think that is the better question? And yeah. how do you think they can leverage that experience? Yeah. So I think the big thing, and I'm sure, you know, to give you a little shout out, I think some of the work that you're doing in your mentorship and your um, work is probably really helpful because I think it's hard for many people to take a two-year deeply meaningful experience and say, okay, here's that. How do I even talk about that? And you're like, soundbite, 30 seconds and three bullet points for this particular job. And that is a skill set. So Um, I think some of it is um, doing informational interviews and practicing uh, when your fear isn't there. So trying it out, right? And saying, so if your mom has a friend uh, who's a professor or a study abroad person, or I went to the University of Michigan, they would let me go back and do an interview with the study abroad staff there, right? Like, Like, who would have to say yes to you for whatever reason? They know you, you graduated from there. Practice with that low threat and just say, hey, I want to get into this field and I want to hear more about what you do, or I want to get into this field and I need to practice before I really do this. Can you help Mm -hmm. me? Right. Mm -hmm. And they can give you feedback on eye contact, posture, wording. So that was one. And I I did that. And I think it worked. Um, I think also to volunteer offer expertise, volunteer at conferences. If you know how to, so I guess the first thing would be think about your experience. And, you know, if you lived alone for two years in a village, can you parlay that into adaptability to any new environment, right? Like how do you take it into a skill? And then how do you show that skill? And then if you can show that skill, not only in writing, but then you put on a reentry conference or you teach refugees for free. And then you can say that you taught, like, what is it that you're actually doing? Um, And then I would say, make sure that your LinkedIn account is up to date and that you showcase it. So if you're saying you're a writer, show me writing. If you say you're a great speaker, show me a video of you speaking. Don't just tell me because I'm not going to believe it. Right, right. That's my, I talk about proving it. Yeah. And people say, like, you say all this stuff about yourself and your application materials, but now you have to prove it. Yeah. Like, yeah. And be brief, because <laughs> I'm hiring right now for a position at CS Abroad, and who we? It's like, wait, you're going to head up sales, and you sent me a six-page resume. Hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, I so, like, think yeah. about what that market is and what, yeah. you know, what sales means or what marketing means or what university relations means or what advising means, you know, don't be afraid of talking and reaching out and getting advice because we all love what we do and we want to hire the best person. And if you are that best person, we want to know about it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important. And I, I, I go over this at in nauseum in GPI, but Mm. the, one of the things about best person for the job is people often forget it's best person for the job they are hiring for, not for like all the things you've ever done that you think is so cool. Because there's a difference between what, you know, what CIS abroad needs in X role, and you've told them in a job description (laughs) exactly what you care about. Uh, Because I think a lot of people will say, well, they need to know that I did all these other things. And I'm like, those are really cool. And they're kind of like icing, but you've got to prove that you can do what they need you to do first. And often people don't care. They're just like, here, I studied abroad and I was a peer advisor and poof, I'm clearly your best candidate. No, you're not. Because there's (laughs) 150 of you who've applied. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Exactly. Awesome. That was great advice. Thank you so much for that. Um, So can I give one more? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of course. that That I think is really important is with LinkedIn, if you have somebody who can write, so if you're coming abroad, it's hard coming, coming from abroad and adapting to life here and then also looking for work. But 
who did you serve with abroad that can immediately write you a recommendation and link to it on LinkedIn, right? And then who do they know? And so get the recommendations right away. If you want a recommendation from somebody, write it. Say, here's what I want you to say about me. Tweak it because they're going to take 90% of what you said, tweak it in their own worlds and words, and then they can call it their own. And you've said what you want them to say about you, right? And then post that on LinkedIn. See who they're linked to and say, hey, I see you're friends with so-and-so. I'm just entering the field. And then say, can you introduce me? Can I mention your name? Like, so few people have said to me, you know, in the subject line, Brooke Roberts recommended I get in touch with you. Because if they did, I would be like, oh, click. And then I'd be Skyping you, Brooke, going, excuse me, this person just said this. What can you tell me about him, right? right. But I'm connecting with you, which means they just rose above 200 other applications. So that's like a business skill that I think we, especially as women leaders, need to be really down with using. We love to be used as as friends and colleagues. Use us. That's not anything to be shy about, you know? Yeah. Ask. Yeah. Ask. People love to feel needed. And they yeah. love to feel like the special person who got to be the connector. You know, I talk about being a master connector. Like it is like the up level from like, be a, you know, networking is like, don't just network, connect other people. And they're going to be like, oh my God, Brooke's the best. She introduced me and now we're married. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, uh, <laughs> right, right. I agree. I yeah, agree no, that's great advice. That's awesome, awesome advice. Okay, so let's, you kind of like, is a wonderful, wonderful parlay into this next conversation. Because mm-hmm. um, one of the amazing, things and I was so excited to chat with you about this because I I remember like very specific conversations you and I have had together mm, like yeah. sharing a room at forums of uh, women in leaders in fireside thing that they did after a conference in the Philippines like having a beer and chatting I mean there's so many things that are, like at times and And this all happened years ago. And in the last year, you have taken the helm as president of CIS Abroad, which congratulations. It's amazing. Thank you. Um, And I would love to chat a little bit about what that has been like, like stepping into a role where you really like the buck stops with you kind of. It's all on you now. Like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) turn and burn, my friend. So (laughs) it's been wonderful. And I think it's been wonderful because I'm stepping into it at a time where I don't think there's ever been a more important time to be in international education and relations and diplomacy and cross cultural awareness and appreciation, right? So, what an important, exciting time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I love it and eat it and drink it and sleep it 24 (laughs) seven. Um, and not only in this role, but as a founding member of the board of the global leadership league, as a parent of two sons in college who have, were both abroad last year during that time. And, and so, um, it's everything about who I am as a person and as a leader. So, um, not that it's always easy. I think when you head up an organization, as you know, um, everything keeps you up, right? Because it's like, oh, did, did I make the right choice on that? Because I got to have my own back on that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I think I need more time to think deeply about decisions and how my decisions impact our uh, partners and also our staff. Um, but I'm absolutely excited about having that opportunity and that challenge. It mm-hmm. it makes me a better leader, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 All that. Yeah. So what, so it's talk a little bit about the decision to take the job on, you know, before you were director of marketing and institutional relations. Of university relations. Yeah. Senior director, right. Of university relations and marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had, you know, I was lucky to have, a lot of opportunities that were coming my way. You know, you sort of develop a reputation in the field or do some good work or what have you, right? And 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 it's a small field. <laughs> and that's the great thing about it. And so mm-hmm. I, I had the opportunity to think about what my next steps were. And I think it was also that 
you know, as we were talking before the interview, my youngest uh, was on a gap year and now at college. So it was also a, a natural time for me to be saying, okay, my, you know, role as a parent is shifting. What do I want to shift in my, in my work life and um, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, so it was really good timing for me in terms mm-hmm. of saying yes to this opportunity. It was a pretty rigorous interview process. <laughs> you know, you'd think, oh, you were an internal candidate. Didn't you just like, you know, just sign? But, you know, I think Jeff Palm, the founder and, uh, of CIS Abroad, who is now in a, you know, in a, in a different capacity of sort of serving as new business development and, and looking at, at um, uh, new ways that CIS Abroad can be in the field, which is exciting. Um, you know, I, we were really clear that I wanted to be vetted like anybody would be vetted so that when we inevitably come upon hard times, we can never go, oh man, if we had only like checked this out a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was a, a lot of preparation and, and uh, three-year business plan and visioning and all of mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. that through that process also allowed me to really analyze whether my vision for the organization was where um, Jeff saw it moving forward. And also, yeah, if it was a good match. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Thanks. and I think Thanks it's really interesting too, because, you know, one of the things I'd love for you to, to talk a little bit about is I don't want to get too like, um, I don't know, fangirl, but like lean in, you know, right. And, but in the, in the book, um, she talks about, uh, how, you know, often women, if they don't meet like 99% of the qualifications, they, they won't, you know, even up put their name in, you know, to mm. apply for a job. And mm. one of the things I was, you know, coming from the role that you've had and your past experience, you know, I'm, I'm guessing there are probably parts of the role you're taking on now where you're like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. You know, or I'm going to have to be Googling that shit over and over. You no, know, but I, well, no, like Jeff made this, you know, kind of gesture. And first I was just kind of silent. And then my first response was, shit, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that like, you're like that because I'm not like that. You know, when I was offered like sort of the helm at Go Abroad, yeah. uh, I, I remember like I have a friend who's still kind of teasing me about it as I, I met him when it was going on. And he was like, yeah, I remember you were like, they're going to find out that I can't do it. And not that I was like great at, you know, every part yeah. of the job, but I like, I'm so happy I stepped into that anyway. But I remember going into it going like, I've never created a budget for a company because they didn't have one at the time, you know, like things like that. Um, But, you know, I I figured it out. I'm happy I did that. But I I know sometimes that some people, and I think women especially, will hesitate because they don't feel like they ticked every box. And I was just curious of what your response was, sort of if you didn't tick every box and how you reacted to that. Clearly, you still stepped in, but did you have any hesitation? I think so. Like I wanted to make sure that it was the right match between me and what I bring and what the mm-hmm. organization needed. Mm-hmm. So for sure. And it's not like I have a big ego. It's not that, but I know it's not me. <laughs> it's the yeah. team. It is the team. And I knew the team, right. Mm-hmm. And and the quality of staff um, that we have here. So I think maybe I had an easier job and maybe if it was, uh, had I pursued the other opportunities, I would have gotten to that place. Like, oh my gosh, it felt like more me because I didn't know any of the staff or is this, Mm. I tend to be pretty collaborative. So I know that it's not all about me. So writing the book, anything I've done in my life, it's, it's because a lot of us worked really hard Mm -hmm. together. And I know that's also kind of a female thing to say, but it's actually true whether men say it or not, (laughs) you know, um, And so, and I think also I have it in perspective because, and this is something that my younger colleagues in the field have really helped me with, is to realize that women's rights and women's empowerment still needs help here in the States. Because my introduction to women's rights and humanity was in Mali, West Africa, where it was like, a woman doesn't receive her salary. A woman doesn't control who she marries. A woman doesn't control how many children they have, right? So that's my perspective. So I'm like, woohoo, ladies, let's go. 
let's party. Look at all the power we have here. And it was my younger colleagues who introduced me to Lean In who said, hey, Chris, guess what? We need your help. We, we need help in negotiating. We need help in understanding this. And I was like, we all have it figured out here. Do you know how lucky we are? And that was a really unhelpful response and not necessarily, um, yeah, not helpful and not really true. Right. Mm-hmm. So they help me understand more the literature and, and what's happening here in the States. Mm-hmm. And I've obviously kind of taken that and run with it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So I've really taken that to heart to to help because I I think um, I was raised in a family where I literally had I, I'm a leader who happens to be a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I've just never really defined myself as I don't know, a woman first and then a leader. So whether that's naive or whether that's a good thing, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I think it's actually makes me able to be a little less fearless for some reason. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to figure out what that is because I want to teach it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. Well, so getting this down to more of a tangible, practical level, I, yeah. um, one of the things I would, I think people would be really curious, you know, especially if they're, earlier in their career, or even mid-career, um, and they're thinking, I want to be president of something someday. <laughs> um, what are some thi- like skill sets and knowledge bases that you think people, maybe two or three things that you really like, you need to start learning about these things now and start growing your understanding of these areas because yeah. they're going to be super important when you get to a, a very high senior leadership role? It's a great question. I think... Um... What comes to mind first is negotiation, not just from a a personal standpoint, but also how to negotiate for your partners, for resources, for contracts. Like, how do you, how are you comfortable in difficult conversations? How do you have difficult conversations so you and your partner end up having a win-win at the end? And if that's not possible, how do you continue to have a relationship, even if you're not always going to uh, agree. So how are you comfortable with dissent? How are we comfortable with, you know, Google says stuff like, uh, 70% of awesome is better than 100% of ordinary. And I'm like, who? yes, it is. So how are we comfortable with failing and saying like, we can fail and still be really great. We don't have mm-hmm. to take that so personally. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's around difficult conversations, negotiations, uh, networking and comfort, even if you walk in and your antenna are going, oh my gosh, I see all the social strata in this room going up and saying, I'm awesome to talk to and I'm entering that circle anyway. And I'm going to be really gracious and grateful about it. And then always remembering to pull the next woman up behind them, behind you, right? Because I think the one thing we don't do well as women and that I see men doing a lot is like, they just bring guys up right up behind them. Like the more the merrier, let's go, let's compete. And we're just like, oh, She's coming along well. Hmm, isn't she an uppity little thing? Like, it's a weird thing. We need a new girls network. We got the uh-huh. old boys. Where's the new girls network? Like, I don't mm-hmm. get, I don't quite understand that completely, why we compete against each other rather than help each other. But mm-hmm. I, I see that and I hear about it and it's very curious to me. Mm-hmm. So not sure how to stop that, but don't do it. Um, yeah. And I think for, uh, you know, if I really, I, that's something I've been doing a lot of stuff with like personal development and mindset shifts mm. and lots of like quantum, there's like quantum physics involved and things, but Ooh, really? you know, what the, yeah, I'm getting real woo woo. I'm getting real woo woo. I'm not going to, you know, subject the international ed world to it. But okay. one of the things, you know, it, on a tangible level is that there's that competitiveness and, and in, you know, you're a yogi too, uh, thinking about the world as, a pie that there's only a, a certain amount of versus mm-hmm. like quantum quantum thinking would think about the universe as an expanding force expanding element and there's like it's always ever increasing ever growing mm. and anyway getting real woo woo yeah. <laughs> i might edit this part out but um <laughs> <laughs> no but this concept of it's um, not a zero-sum game exactly. one and one equals three abundant there's the right. abundance yeah. mindset versus a limit by mindset yeah. and you know, and I've, I, you know, I'm a competitive woman and yeah. I like, and I, you know, Chris, Chris and Brooke Roberts in a room together. Oh my gosh. Like, hello, the, yeah. the fireworks that go up. Cause we're both like very big personalities. Well, the, you know, sometimes when you see somebody else like, wow, you also have this brightness and shininess to you. That's, 
is that going to dull me because is that limiting, you know, mindset versus mm. the abundance of like, oh my gosh, if we shine together, couldn't this be even more powerful and amazing, right. right? And so I find myself in a very tangible thing. I'll like scroll through my feed, like on Instagram and I'll see somebody who's doing something cool and she's awesome. And I, or I love her branding or I don't know, whatever. She's like, I love her sandals. I don't know. And there's a part of me that will go, I'm not liking that because if I like that, then I'm giving her some of my mojo. And then I am like been the last year been really focused on like, I'll make myself go back and I like it. And then I'll comment on it and I'll give her so much love. Like I love those sand or I love what you're doing or you're amazing. Like try to put that Mm -hmm. out there because I think that is a hard thing. I don't know if it's just unique to women, but I think as competitive beings, when we Mm. think of that, you know, limiting mindset versus abundant abundance mindset, we can think like, Oh, there's only so much to go around. So we can't share. Yeah. And it's like, I remember when I was parenting my kids, there was a book called the power of positive parenting. And they basically said, it's super, super simple. Just say yes, four times as much as you say no. And I've never forgotten it because it's so easy to be like, don't do that. No, that's not a good idea. And it's just like, just say yes. If somebody comes with a new idea or a cool thing. Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Tell me more. And life is way more fun and you'll find your own power expands, which I think is what you're saying Mm -hmm. when you get exposed to that person's power. And then it's like, oh, well, they're doing it this way. That doesn't mean you can't do it. Right. 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 So I used to be that way when I was publishing my book and, and, uh, it was like some, you know, people would say, oh, I'd be like, oh, I can't write about, you know, ah, this book will never get published because there's already a book that, that, that agent or that publisher's already published a book on a West African midwife. When actually, if they've published a book on that, they're 10,000 more times likely to publish one by you too, because there's that path to success, right? They've already proven that, that, that that's something they're interested in. So I remember that as well. Like, you know, that, that it just means more yeses. It doesn't mean the door is closed because that person had that idea. Like there's no original ideas, right? Right. I mean, <laughs> and not not to call it out, but I'm going to call it out. But you could say the team over at Go Overseas, they could have been like, oh, Go Abroad already exists. So never mind. You know, and yeah, you get... You could think like, or you know, ISA already exists, so CS abroad goes. Never mind. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think you know, and that, I, that's actually kind of a nice segue um, into my next question. We did not plan this, you guys. I'm but, just throwing them out there for <laughs> you, honey. She lobs yeah. them up, and I'm smacking them out of the park. All right. Um, <laughs> one of the things that you know, kind of related to this, um, is not necessarily this limit limiting belief versus abundance mindset, but more about the differentiation Um, because there are a lot of study um, education abroad providers in the world. uh, And especially in international ed, if you can't go to, if nobody believes me, show up at NAFS at the expo hall and, you will know Be I'm right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I think one of the biggest challenges is, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think this is true of any industry, whether you're selling mattresses or you're selling meaningful, transformative educational experiences, <laughs> it's, you know, whatever that thing is, is like, how do you differentiate something that at the core is very similar? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a study abroad program, ver- you know, and how do you differentiate yourself? How do you stand out? If we removed all of the acronyms and logos and, you know, just put like study abroad organization, you know, how would they stand apart from each other? Because as, right. a, as companies, it, it, that's important because uh, you have to know how to draw in your, your, your audience and your, your students. So what, mm-hmm. do you, what are you guys doing at CIS to differentiate and stand out from the herd? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And obviously, I think about it a lot, mm-hmm. right? Because I think about toothpaste, <laughs> you know, why am I a Crest fan and not a Colgate fan? Or why do I go and buy that rather than this? Is it the two for one sale? Is it the packaging? Is it the whitening? Like, you know, so I think it's, um, I think it's a great question. And certainly when we have, when um, ed abroad organizations follow more of the direct and role model, I either kind of uh, facilitating that relationship, but then ultimately that student is enrolled at, you know, the University of Sydney, mm-hmm. then it becomes uh, an even uh, more important question. Right. So I thought about this. Um, and I think, so the one piece that I can say is we, at the core, we are innovative. And I think what that lets us do 
is to constantly be scanning to say, how can we do this even better? So we said like, um, how can we make our NAFSA presence even better? Let's do the amazing places race. Let's get out there and sweat with our partners, you know, because that's really us. We're fun. We're real. Um, and, and let's expose those partners to the city that they have this conference in and get out of that air conditioning, mm-hmm. right? So that's an example. Mm-hmm. We started with our LGBTQ ally training because we said, okay, everybody's joining in on generation study abroad. We could throw scholarships at it. We could throw this at it. What's us? And we said, we can get LGBTQ populations abroad because of who we are, the locations that we're in, our advisory board members, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. And so now we're partnering up with a nationally known expert, Dr. Jenny Beeman, to deliver this really high quality training. So then we do like our La Vida Local Cultural Program, like, oh yeah, you can immerse in the culture. Wait, what are we doing different? How do we put a volunteer experience and these other pieces to really get these students involved, you know, in the culture in a way that we feel is meaningful and measurable. So um, we were the first to do green offsetting. Now everybody does it. We do customized programs everywhere, not just in our site. So we keep, so that's, that means that anytime you innovate, people then catch up with you and then it's not innovative anymore. Mm -hmm. So what does that all come down to? It's our staff. I mean, it's like the people that we have here and the quality of their hearts and their minds and their spirits is unparalleled. Like I trust them with my life and my children's lives, right? Like, like I really, really trust them. And so that, I don't know if that's a, you know, there's wonderful competitors in this field, you know, like there's really good organizations, but we're like locally owned with people that you call on the phone and you get me. You want to talk to me? I'm happy to talk to you, right? So there yeah. are some starting to be some real um, ways that we engage in the quality of the people that I think make us who we are. And it's how we hire now. We hire according to our company values, mm. right? And we live it through our company culture and our passion projects and our dog-friendly office. So or I have a doctor in the office too, but it's... Oh, good for you. Yeah. It's so awesome. My my poodle Dudley is here somewhere. Oh, I love Dudley. Oh, <laughs> I remember Dudley. Right? Yeah. So I think at the core, that's it, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, we try to sell different aspects to it depending on who I'm talking to. Right, but of course, yeah. at the core, it's you hire the right people and they live your brand, they live your vision and your mission. And whatever is that right next path we create that's my answer i guess no and i think that's really interesting because i think it you know obviously this podcast is totally meant for professionals i've gotten some negative reviews on itunes (laughs) from students who like are like uh they don't talk about studying abroad (laughs) (laughs) like yeah listen to the intro it's not for you kids but maybe i should start doing something for them but uh but anyway you know so professionals listening to this one of the things you said there i think is really interesting and you know as you said it i was like oh yeah, like, I think, you know, how you engage with your core, one of your core constituencies, and in, mm. in your case, as an Edinburgh organization, university partners or potential mm. university partners, core constituency for you, how you engage with them speaks a lot to how your, your brand, and then, and, and I think the genius of the amazing race element that you guys do at NASA every year is that it kind of might, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it might get in the minds of that, of your university partners that like, oh, is this the kind of cool engaged experience they're giving my students on the ground in insert place here? And that gets them starting to think like, I want the feeling I'm getting mm. from this moment in time right now, like in, in Denver, you know, that I, this cool, engaged community, you know, experience. And my students are going to have that same core feeling when they go and do that same, whatever, a similar concept in London or something. And I think that's really powerful. If you can get people's emotions engaged with your brand, Mm -hmm. that's super powerful to getting them to sort of stick with you longer term. I agree. And and I, you know, I love Simon Sinek, I guess maybe who doesn't, but, Mm -hmm. you know, we think a lot about the why. It's -hmm. not what we do, it's why we do it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so we've thought a lot about that in creating our values and our vision and our mission to always be focused on the why mm-hmm. do we do what we do, mm-hmm. um, because that's ultimately what saves the day, mm-hmm. right? 
Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think if anybody else is listening, if you have a, an, a study abroad office or, you know, international student office or, or study abroad company, whatever you're doing, I think one of the things that people can caught in is like, oh, we have our outlined values and mission. Right, of, course right. we, you know, of course, people are going to read that and like know who we are, but um, right. it's that next leg of the journey of like, okay, here are mm-hmm. core values, but what are the tangent? It's just like when you're applying for a job, you say you're a great public speaker prove it. You say your value is being green, prove it. You say your value is, you know, whatever, um, insert thing here. And, and so it sounds like you guys did a lot of proving it. Like here are our values. Yeah. And like living it. yeah. Yeah. Living. How do we live what we, what we say? Because if we're not living it, we should be doing something else. Right. I agree. I agree. I agree. Well, and I just think from a business point of view, I mean, not to, I, I believe in the altruistic side of things too, but I think from a, a bottom line business perspective too, people are long-term devotion to a brand is going to be emotive like that. It's going to come from that emotional attachment they have to your values and they can't know your values unless you're living it. So, yeah, um, I agree. I so, agree. And we got to have fun. Right. Because if you're not having fun, you're doing something really wrong. <laughs> no, I, I agree with that. That's really, you know, that's something I've had to like inject in my own businesses as I like grind yeah. it out. And I'm like, Brooke, are you liking it? I'm mean, not that you're going to like every part of your job ever. Let's not like <laughs> just sway right. people of that truth. But I think it's also at the core of like the things you're doing. I mean, there's, there's a, many reasons why I've pivoted in so many ways in like my yoga travel tree company because some of the stuff I was started off doing, I thought, oh, it's a good business. But then I was like, oh, I don't like this. It's not fun. Yeah, right, right. You got to love what you do because, well, as far as we know it, we have one life. So every day actually really does matter. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to circle back a little bit, you know, kind of relating to, you know, having fun in the work you're doing and, and knowing mm. your values. I think... Um, one of the things I want to talk about, you know, you mentioned the Global Leadership League and uh, being a founding mm-hmm. member of that. Um, and one of the, and I just actually had an interview with somebody else and she's at a different stage in her career. So she's got a three-year-old and then one, like literally anytime now she's going to pop another one. <laughs> so she's, at a, oh, she's yeah. also a working professional mother, but at a very different stage in her parenthood um than than you are as you mentioned before and i feel like i'm not a mother and i'm also not married so it's i can only observe what i'm seeing in my colleagues and friends and it seems like there's a lot of leaning in and leaning out periods um, Mm -hmm. for people where they kind of ebb and flow um and i was just curious if you felt like you experienced that in your career if you if there was ever how did and how did you feel about that was it sort of did you get mad? Were you like, I'm cool with this? Or I don't know. What was sort of your process in grappling with that? Yeah, I I think the leaning in and leaning out is true. I think whoever is the primary caretaker, it doesn't always have to be the female. Um, uh, it's a real thing. You can't have it all. What you can do is have segments where you have everything 100% in that segment. Mm-hmm. And everything here and everything here, right? But it is important to know how much energy. So I have a ton of energy. So I've been able, people are like, how did you write a book and you head up a company and you have two kids, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, first of all, I have the energy of two people. Just remember that. Like you do, Brooke, you have a ton of energy. But no, nothing like Chris Holloway, people. <laughs> eating well, taking care of myself, getting physical activity, like having a, you know, a life that literally feeds me and that is healthy in that way. Um, so that's one, like physical health is, is a lot of, you know, take care of that physical body and that will steward a lot on. Um, so I absolutely agree with people who say, I got to run every morning. You know, there's people who will say, you know, I'm going to be at work at 930 and I'm going to take my run until then. And it makes them 150% more, you know, productive or attentive or whatever it is they're trying to achieve. So I would say, uh, one thing, no matter what I was prioritizing, I would, I was always reassessing what's my priority because I wanted to do it all. Like, what is my priority? You know, whether it's this month, this week, this year, what am I focusing on? What's core to myself? Um, and making compromises along the way. Like there was sometimes where, you know, I'm, I'm going to have my 25th wedding anniversary this year. So, you know, working with my husband to say, whose, whose career is taking priority right now? Because if we have two kids and both of us are putting in 80 hour weeks, that's not going to work. 
So don't pretend it's going to and that you're going to have a healthy life. So make compromises. People do it all the time and figure out what are your priorities and stick with them. And maybe for those two years, it's your partner's career that's above yours. Or maybe for the first five years when kids are little, you know, you're staying home or you're working half time or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Life is really long. Life is long, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so look at it at segments, prioritize those segments, stay true to your values, right? So goal, value, priority, and reassess. Um, And so that was important to me because then when I, I could reassess so I could be like, oh my God, I really should be doing this. Wait, what are my priorities? They're in line with my values. Nope, don't need to make a change. I'm right where I should be, right? And I can be a little very disciplined about that kind of thing. So not that my way is always the best way. I think people could probably be a little more relaxed than I am about those sorts of things and still do very, very well. But I would say, don't try to have it all at one time and uh, do the segmenting and that it's okay to pivot and shift. I never look at somebody's resume and go, what, they haven't been at one employer for seven years? I'm like, what are their skills? Where's their voice sound like? Mm -hmm. You know, if I really want to dig in, if I see that somebody has only ever had a job for two years, I'll dig into that in the interview process. I'll dig into that in calling all their past employers, whether they list them as references or not, right? Like I can do that on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and sometimes you find that it's like, they never found their fit. I can't believe all these people have like passed them up. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I, I just think that, you know, I think part of it for women is to value ourselves The world doesn't value mothering or taking care of self. And if we do, that's not a bad thing. That can actually be seen as a strength. I know I am such a better employee because I worked 80% for a few years when I had to be around for my kids. And I was lucky to have an employer, CIS Abroad, who said, okay, okay, Mm -hmm. go for it. Well, and I think that's so many things. So many things I'm like studying right now and like the mindset stuff, but I'm not going to geek out on that right now. But, <laughs> but um, And I, you know, sometimes people will interpret this concept of um, shrinking, you know, if, if especially if mm. like you become a mom and you're pregnant and you're going to take maternity leave, that, mm. uh, that you're shrinking from your career. Mm. And, and so there's like, it's a, it's that, again, it's like that limiting mindset. And, but actually, (laughs) if you really think about it as a mother, you are expanding the universe more than any other human can, because you're actually bringing another soul into the world. I know I'm scaring all the people away right now, but, (laughs) (laughs) but you, but you are really expanding. And I think one of the things we struggle with, and like you mentioned in society, we don't value that expansion. You know, we don't, we don't put that in some, you know, people don't list gave birth to another human on LinkedIn. You know, we don't put that as a feather in our cap as something we did, we accomplished, we expanded, right? We, you know, grew revenue from X to X. That goes on LinkedIn because we expanded something. But these other expansions that we do in our lives that aren't like the traditional feathers, we just, we don't, we don't include. And I think, I think, you know, getting people to think about like you are expanding. And, and I think, and, and even if you're, it's not in a motherhood, like for me, if it's, I am growing my own personal development and, you know, soul expansion, if you will, that I am going to be better at running inside abroad and yoga travel tree or whatever I do, you know, um, and it, and that's going to help me expand in the traditional ways as well. That's a good point. And I think, you know, I did see somebody who had on their LinkedIn profile recently, you know, stay at home mom for three years. And I was like, you got to put something more on that. Oh, yeah. Profile, like say, (laughs) what did you do? Did you organize? What did you organize? I mean, the amount I organized when I stayed home, you know, I always kept my big toe in the field and that would be another advice. So one, I think you're right. What is it that that you, what are the things that you worked on that you did in a volunteer capacity, in a home capacity that are skills, but also keeping your, I mean, we can want the world to think like we do and the world is how it is, right? And so how do you keep your big toe in that world? So I always kept, you know, whether it was a professional affiliation or, you know, kept reading the same magazine or publishing a blog or whatever it was, like keep your big toe there. Um, Mm -hmm. and keep in touch with your mentors, right? Cause you're going to need them when you want to enter back and they can advocate Mm -hmm. for you. So I think that's also 
important not to be also naive about what the work world's like. And so how do you stay true to yourself and also mm-hmm. play it? Like I remember telling my kids when they took SATs, like, you got to play the game. It's how you're going to get into the colleges that you want to. But don't think it's about you. It's about learning how to play the game. So play mm-hmm. it the best that you can. Mm-hmm. And that's Absolutely. the same with the job world. You know, just play it. Recognize it's a game and have mm-hmm. the people that you need to to be like, this is really hard. I need to talk to you. <laughs> you know. Right. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, the other woman I, I mentioned that I interviewed about her experience, you know, as a sort of a new young mother is... Um, you know, she, when she had her first child and she was gone from maternity leave, so she missed sort of a, a circuit of conferences, right? Yeah, and yeah. then when she came back the next round of those same conferences, people were like, where have you been? And she mm. felt like because in that time frame she wasn't even in the room at a conference, let alone presenting at the, con- you know, all these things we're expected to do to keep, you know, moving forward, hustle, hustle, hustle. Um, yeah. She felt like even though it was only nine months, it was... Uh, interpreted as like a much bigger like gap, you know, and 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 maybe it's you know it wasn't like she didn't get a job. She ha- always had her job, and there was no other like real professional. But it was like a feeling she had, and so one of the things yeah. she did that she made sure because once she had a young child, she also wasn't be able to travel as often and those types of things. Is that mm. she really invested in? expanding where she could control it. So like inside her organization, there were all these cool ideas and projects that they'd always said like, oh, if we had time, but there was never time because they were shooting off and, you know, having to be all over the place. And she's like, actually, now that I'm not traveling nearly as much, I could actually devote that time to getting this new thing off the ground. She had a great example of this new thing that they launched as a result of her going, where can I can control the dial here? Yeah. Yeah. We've done that too. We had a recently, uh, a, one of our university relations directors who had a baby and she's awesome and we wanted to keep her and she wanted to stay. And so she only owns one state, manages some people, and then she's doing all these other super cool initiatives, you know? Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. think if you, if you have a quality person, an employer who values the person who is going to have lots of things that happen in their lives that, that there's an ebb and flow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then it, it ends up being a win-win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Okay. Um, gosh, we're almost like out of time right now. So I have to find, you know, yeah. close it down with an, um, a question <laughs> I love to ask everyone. But you know, okay. we some, you've given some really great advice for people. But, you know, people who are just starting out or just trying mm. to break into the field. And of course, there's a lot of people here. No, 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 all the time. Um, mm. What is your advice to them just starting out? I think it would be very similar to those people who come from that teach abroad and volunteer abroad, right? Like, how do you, how do you use the networks that you do have, right? To get into the field, volunteer for something. I think my advice would be very similar to that. Yeah. And, and that I would say use those connections because you graduated from a university most likely. Right. So, so what contacts do you have there? And then when you go on LinkedIn and you start finding people, who are you then linking to and what is it that you want to do? And I think, uh, do informational interviews and, you know, be professional about it, keep it to a half an hour or whatever it is and, and send a thank you card. Right. (laughs) Um, And, you know, there's a lot of free resources and then resources like you're giving and that we do here that really are for those new professionals. So figure out what they are. And as soon, the great thing is the field is small. It's Mm -hmm. small. So you're going to be able to meet people. Go to one NAFSA regional conference and just start whizzing it from there and you're going to find people, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That feels not hard. That shouldn't be a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. you know yeah, it does take being willing to say hello so right. if you don't well, have social skills you know <laughs> develop those be able mm-hmm. to talk to people right mm-hmm. that's right critical. right absolutely and critical. I think you know that's uh, one big takeaway that you know I I tell people who who join the Global Pro Institute or any w- number of like the workshops free paid anything that I offer sessions I do at conferences, I always tell people like whatever I'm showing you right now, it doesn't just happen because you think it, 
It only happens when you actually put one foot in front of the other and move the needle. And so, you know, I can teach people all sorts of great tactics on networking and building meaningful relationships and blah, blah, blah. But they actually have to send the email, you know, or or do the action. And so I think what you said there is really important that there are lots of trainings out there, but also making sure that you're not just getting information that you're taking action on the information you're getting. And that's, that's the thing that's going to make the biggest difference. I agree. And if you can have a mentor in that, right, just somebody that's going to hold your feet to the fire. So if you don't do it, they're going to say, Hey, did you do it? Yeah. Wait, you didn't? Okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, and I will say that's a great plug for the Global Pro Experience because that's exactly what I do. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. So that's it's all really about like getting people to take action and saying, where, where is this? Where's your deliverable on this thing that I told you you need to do? So yeah. Um, yeah. Feet to the fire, my friend. (laughs) Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If someone wants to connect with you in the quote real world or social media world, how should they get in touch? Email me at kholloway at csabroad.com. Awesome. Great. Are you on any of the social medias? Twitter? Snapchat? I tweet. I do not (laughs) snap. Though I tried to once. Yeah. Um, but it was mostly with my children. They were like, no, I don't want you to see my story. <laughs> so um, if you email me, I do tend to respond within 24 to 48 hours. I mean, different. yes, abroad has all of oh, that. Oh, yeah, of course. And I'm going to link me, up. No. No, yeah. no, no, And I will link up to <laughs> all of these things in the show notes over at InsideStudyBroad.com. Thank you, Chris, so much for being You're here. Welcome. Yeah, You're and welcome. good luck great with everything. You. Yeah. You too. You too. Sounds like you're doing great stuff. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Chris. If you guys want to connect with her, she gave you her email address. So I encourage you to use it and use it professionally. (laughs) But also don't forget to go follow CIS Abroad on all the social media, which I will link up in the show notes over at InsideStudyAbroad.com slash podcast. And don't forget this week, I'm hosting my signature workshop, How to Land a Job in Study Abroad in International Education this Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central. Go to insidestudyabroad.com slash training to sign up and I hope to see you there. As for where I'm headed next, I'm actually this weekend heading to Cartagena, a little sort of beachside town, colonial town here in Colombia. And I don't know much about it yet, which I'm planning to learn a lot. I'm heading there on Saturday, actually, but I have so much coming up this week. I've sort of packed it in because I'm heading to Parque RV on Thursday. I'm doing a city walking tour because I'm a nerd and I love all the history stuff. And then on Friday night, I'm actually going to the Medellin Opera to see my favorite opera of all time, Carmen. So it's a packed week, you guys. It's going to be great. Got the workshop happening. Got all this great world traveler, globetrotting stuff happening. I'm heading to Cartagena for five days to hang out with some friends, get a little sun, explore. Um, And of course, I'll probably be working because, hey, laptop lifestyle, my friends. If you guys want to follow along on all my adventures, um, you can check me out over on Instagram and Facebook as The New Dorothy and also over on Twitter. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you in the next episode. Bye for now. (laughs) 